0: We are all very human and fallible, and yet we live in a society that rewards pretending we're not fallible, or the range of acceptable fallibility is narrow.
1: We are constantly comparing our insides to other people's outsides, and feeling inadequate and guilty, even ashamed.
0: Trying to blend in means parts of ourselves will disappear, and we must then live in fear that we will be found out.
1: Here, together, we will create a space where we can laugh, Cry and carry our suffering and hurts lightly in the service of
0: being deeply human.
1: This is Life's Dirty Little Secrets. Hello, I'm Chris McCurry.
0: And I'm Emma Waddington. And welcome to the season finale of Life's Dirty Little Secrets. So here we are, a year in, actually not quite months in, to this incredible journey that started early this year, 2023, and it's been quite the journey. It has. It's been so much fun. And today we've decided to do a finale where we sort of wrap up what our takeaways have been over the course of these incredible conversations. And to talk a little bit about what we've learned along the way. That's right. So maybe we can start with our greatest lesson, Mm -hmm. these conversations and this whole experience, actually. What is your greatest lesson, Chris?
1: Well, apart from the steep technological learning curve of having to figure out you know recording platforms and and various things uh, and and before I go any further I, I, I want to give a, a shout out to our fabulous podcast manager, Ashley Hyatt and her her little company called the Well to Do and she has saved us uh, so goodness, many times completely. in terms of getting us organized and, and teaching us about this whole podcast business, we would not have made it this far with, without her absolutely her humor yeah. and patience and expertise. So, thank you, Ashley. Um, very much. But I think, I think what I've come away with is I've just been so impressed with how gracious and generous people have been in mm-hmm. terms of being willing to submit themselves to a couple of rank amateurs uh, with, a, <laughs> with a, a podcast that nobody's ever heard of. And we got some fabulous people. Yes, and and it, it's, it's just been a great experience. We've learned so much and had some great times. So I'm just really impressed with everybody has been and generous with their time.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Incredible how much we learn from having conversations with incredible people. I think for me, I've really learned, I know we talk about this a lot, but one of the things that Jill Stoddard said in, in our conversation with her was the importance of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, gonna, that's been a big lesson for me this, this year and that, you know, you really can't have both comfort and courage because this has taken a lot of courage and has had some moments of discomfort, but it's been very much worth it. I really enjoyed this.
1: I thank you for coming up with the idea and inviting me along. So this, this, is, this is your child and it's, it's been marvelous. I've heard once before somebody said, your comfort zone will be there when you get back.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's brilliant. Yes, we've thoroughly enjoyed all your quotes and well, you've been a great partner.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes. It's, it's it's been it's been quite quite a journey. And gonna do this again. There will be a season two, which we'll talk about in a little bit.
0: That's right. So maybe we can summarize our learnings over the course of the last eleven months, talking through all the different episodes. So kicking off, we did a really fun episode about adulting which was a great way to start, actually, the season. We were Um, each other's guests. We were, and it was a great conversation. And actually, I've had a lot of conversations since then about that episode because the concept of adulting is such an interesting one. Somehow, we've got it all figured out and that we know what we're doing. And I think we've done a lot of adulting this year with this podcast. And I've definitely learned a few things, but I've definitely learned that I can work through self-doubt and I can be courageous, whether that's being an adult or not.
1: It's true. I, I, I think it was prophetic that we started with that one.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes. <'cause laughs>
1: I think at the time we didn't realize just how much adulting we were going to have to do to pull this off. And we did.
0: So yes, lots of adulting. You had a conversation with Martin Wilkes. He spoke about the importance of being brave enough to touch despair which gives you access to your values in that place where you know despair and values come hand in hand right and and
1: just the idea that we are we are not alone even even when yeah. we think we might be where when we think that we're the only one bearing certain struggles he talked about feeling connected to the bigger the bigger world and humanity in general and that we're all experiencing so many of the same things in spite of the the details, the particulars, that there's a lot of commonality in our, our sorrows as well as in our joys. I think that was very encouraging.
0: Yes. I often think about that when I think about the privilege of our job, that we get to witness that very thing because we are on our couch We have many individuals, families, couples who come in and there is that sort of shared humanity that we all do share the similar sorrows and heartache and pain. And I feel that I do have the privilege of witnessing that and being reminded that I'm not alone, that there are many that feel just like me.
1: So many of the guests that we had addressed these many issues guilt and grief self-doubt moral injury all of these things that that we as human beings bear up under and how to do that courageously
0: that's right we we started with a very courageous conversation with diana hill that was one of our early episodes to martin where she spoke about her incredible courage i remember as we were having that conversation my compassion. And admiration for her went up. It struck me that there were definitely, and I knew that before, but in that moment that seeing courage in others does deepen our connection. Seeing vulnerability in others does really deepen our connection to those around us. And as she spoke about her experiences and how that opened her up to yeah, connecting to her clients in different ways, that was a very, very moving conversation.
1: It was we were priv- privileged to be part of that as as we've been privileged to be part of so many of these conversations.
0: Absolutely, especially as, you know, she also gave us lots of guidance at the beginning of the conversation as to how to navigate this world of podcasting as a much more experienced and inspiring podcaster, psychologist and human that she is. So yes, that was, the, yeah, that was a beautiful way to sort of set things off when it came to talking about self-compassion and self-doubt, which we then spoke about with Jim Lucas. I think self doubt is another one that's so pervasive, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. something that we are always well, I'm always touching. I can't generalize, but as far as I'm concerned, a lot of people that I know are always sort of touching this this experience of self doubt. And he spoke about he's framed it in such a wonderful way. He spoke about how There's something very good and something very attractive when he sees humility in others, more so than in those who show extreme confidence. And I remember being really struck by that, that somehow I know that, but it doesn't always influence the way I feel about my self-doubt and about voicing my self-doubt, that actually I'm much more connected, a bit like what we experienced with Diana with someone who shows me their vulnerability than with someone who shows me how much they know.
1: Well, I think that's also a uh, product of age and perhaps wisdom where you can say, I don't know, um, and and have that be okay.
0: Yes, and the beauty is that not only is it okay, it can actually lead to something better, a better connection, perhaps deeper understanding. I remember once, oh gosh, I must have been... 13. And I had a fantastic chemistry teacher and I was desperate to do well in chemistry, but I was really not very good at it. And he said to me, you just put your hand up and ask every single question. And I said to him, I remember feeling incredibly anxious and, and worried that I was going to look really stupid in front of all my peers. And he said, no, you'd be surprised at how many people have those same questions. Obviously, this is something that many others have been told. But I really did do that. I really did start asking lots of questions. And with that came lots of answers. <laughs> and then I probably drove him crazy with all my questions. But I actually learned so much and ended up doing very well in my chemistry exam. And that was one of my first lessons, I think, that self-doubt can actually lead to growth.
1: Certainly. Yeah. It, well, it can lead to exploration.
0: It yeah. Can lead curiosity. to
1: curiosity. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, but I can find out.
0: That's right. That's right. And that's what we spoke about with Jim is that, you know, self-doubt is actually part of caring, Mm -hmm. that when we care a lot about something, we are going to feel self-doubt and insecure.
1: And that uh, Mm -hmm. ties in with our conversation on the imposter syndrome.
0: Yeah, that was another great one. Jill
1: certainly, Certainly felt a lot of that doing this podcast this year.
0: Yes. And that was a great moment. I think that's probably one of my favorite moments this season is where you said that you felt like an imposter in front of Jill with all her experience of podcasting. And she turned around and said, what? You? (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. That was a great moment. You feel like an imposter? You're Chris McCurry. It was beautiful. It just showed how, you know, none of us are immune to this experience of imposterism.
1: It just showed how many people I have fooled.
0: And I was sitting back enjoying this view, thinking, I'm actually not feeling like an imposter right now. I'm just really appreciating this moment. Mm. Oh, such wisdom. But yes, yeah, we don't escape that one either, do we? This feeling of of being an imposter. It's so pervasive.
1: Well, it's like so many of these things is... As we've talked about, one never quite escapes them, but you can hold them lightly and not let them interfere too much with what one needs to do.
0: And that somehow imposterism is, yeah, it, 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 it's funny that the imposterism is a bit like self-doubt, like the the concept of self-doubt and confidence. I remember we discussed that with Jim, how over the course of time, as the more we do something, we might get more confident, but that doesn't mean we become more competent mm-hmm. so this this self doubt and experience don't cancel each other out, like we might gain more confidence, but because our competence doesn't always go up, we might continue to experience self doubt and how important that is to continue to dry our desire to know more. Like self-doubt equals growth in a way that I don't think is obvious. Obviously we think that self-doubt doesn't equal growth. It will actually get in the way of learning, but it doesn't unless there is a lot of self-criticism. That was beautiful as well that we learned about it, Jim, is that if there is self-doubt and criticism, then that can get in the way of learning. And I think that when I think of the imposter Feeling like an imposter, it's the same thing, isn't it? If we feel like an imposter and then it it comes with a lot of shame and a lot of anxiety and a lot of avoidance, there won't be growth. So thinking about imposterism, self-doubt and growth, its no reason why they need to get in the way of life. Like you said, Mm -hmm. it's about holding them lightly. In fact, there's something quite magical about the way our guests described it that can lead to that curiosity, right? Because they can show us what really matters.
1: Right. It gets into values as Kelly Wilson, someone we know is a uh, fabulous psychologist, psychotherapist, talks about how the the reason we're, you know, we're uncomfortable, the reason we have self doubts, the reason we're suffering is because we matter about this particular topic. So it's all connected to our values.
0: And just thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, where our pain resides, right? Sometimes things like we can get confused by what, where the problem is. When we think about pain, I was just thinking about the wonderful conversation with Emily Sanders around body shame and how sometimes we can get very unhappy about our bodies and how we look and we want to try and control that, and the pain is there, is in the way we think about our bodies, and actually, in a way, that's standing in for other parts, <laughs> and, it, and trying to change our bodies feels like the answer, but actually, yeah, it's not about that.
1: Well, years ago, I attended a talk, and a person was describing, she put a formula up that was S equals P times R, which was suffering or stress equals pain times resistance. Oh, that's great. So very often, you know, life is painful, but then we get mm-hmm. into all the, this isn't fair, this shouldn't be happening. You know, We struggle and that makes the pain that much worse and, and we suffer for it, we get stressed out by it. And, and that is similar to what I've often talked about in terms of the difference between problems and conditions. And so a lot of times, situations that we regard as a problem, we try to solve it and we get frustrated when we can't solve it. It's really more like it's a condition. You know, it's like, oh, in my work with, with children and families, you know, I often had to tell kids, your cranky fourth grade teacher is a condition. She is not a problem. She cannot be solved. Conditions call for coping and adapting and holding lightly. And your parents' divorce is a condition. You can't solve it. And you're making yourself miserable trying to solve it. And there are just a lot of un- you know, c- unfortunate conditions that we have to deal mm-hmm. with. And, you know, obviously solve problems when you can, but sometimes you just have to cope.
0: That's right. Or, That's you right.
1: know, adapt, plan for some conditions, but if you can anticipate them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, my body getting old. Yeah. And I I wake up every morning and think what did I do yesterday or sometime in the night that made that part of my body feel this way <laughs> this morning. Um and it's a shock yeah. and it's a it's a narcissistic wound that yeah. this can, this can't be happening to me but you know getting old is a condition that's preferable to the alternative.
0: That's right. It is and and Emily talked about this the concept of flexible body image, you know, or this idea that we want to be more flexible when we look at our body and our experiences really never to get too attached like you said this narcissistic wound <laughs> never to get too attached to what our minds telling us about something and instead hold things lightly and be more flexible around them with joe we actually spoke about self esteem and that again is is can get really sticky just like our body image can get really sticky and our narratives about ourselves can get yeah, problematic. And and we spoke with him about the idea that high self-esteem is good and low self-esteem is bad and how we're all working towards having high self-esteem. But really, that again could get us into trouble if we get too attached with seeing ourselves in a certain way or needing to see ourselves in a certain way. Like he described going and playing football with his friends or his potential friends and how that he started to feel self-conscious about his football abilities. And had he got too attached to, to wanting to look a certain way, then he may have not gone and missed out. And instead, he is more flexible with it and could, yeah, hold that lightly. Such a great term. And went out and had a good time. Even if he may not have been the sort of man of the match, he still enjoyed it. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, it's it's looking at the bigger picture, of you know, <clears throat> am I here to impress everybody or am I here to enjoy myself and get some exercise?
0: Yes, and connect mm-hmm. with those that are, that were there. Yes. Yeah, so this the self esteem conversation was a really interesting one because we often have so many conversations about working on people's self esteem that people want to have better self esteem that somehow once they've reached their Better self-esteem, the life will be better too. Same with the body image. It's like when we're reaching that goal, somehow everything will be solved.
1: Well, yeah, as if as if we can attain some sort of state that doesn't get eroded by life events, and you know, we we have to be able to adapt.
0: Absolutely, it's it's constantly evolving, isn't it? We also, off the back of the imposter syndrome, I was just remembering our conversation with Debbie Sorensen around burnout and burnout and, and imposter syndrome or imposterism go so hand in hand, don't they? It's often this this feeling that we're not enough and self-esteem as well, the sense that we're somehow not enough and we're not doing a good enough job. And,
1: and if I just try harder.
0: And if I just try harder.
1: That because was, Because sometimes, again, it's it's the conditions under which we're trying to operate that are the problem which got us into our conversation with your sister about yeah. you know moral injury and vicarious trauma and dealing yeah. with essentially you know dreadful almost impossible situations and still managing to make the world a better place but a little bit at a time
0: yes that was very that was, conversation.
1: It was a very powerful conversation and one of our most downloaded episodes.
0: Yeah. Apparently
1: it resonated with a lot of people, particularly post COVID or, you know, whatever this, this is. It's not entirely post COVID, but we're still we're still reeling from that and trying to recover from that.
0: I think well my sister's been incredibly brave and she's been talking about it at conferences and and telling people about the podcast, which is quite a reach and i think what's been beautiful about that is that it's resonated because not enough people are talking about it about the fact that the shame the burnout the post-traumatic stress disorder that people in the helping professions are experiencing post-covid is because of the moral injury it's because they did they worked in ways that went against their values not because there's something wrong with them And I think that the really heartbreaking part of it is that a lot of people thought that it was something that they were doing wrong, that they should have done better, but they were put in positions where they couldn't do better. And the feeling guilt and shame was because of that, as opposed to something that they couldn't achieve.
1: Here in the United States, and I'm sure elsewhere in the world, people are leaving the nursing profession, people are leaving teaching because... They are burned out and they feel unappreciated by the powers that be. And it's been so draining, depleting, and discouraging that a lot of people are just getting out. And that's unfortunate because those are the very people that are probably the ones that we want to retain because they're the empathic, compassionate, caring ones.
0: That's right. Yeah. So more about, more conversations about the. and supporting those in the helping professions. And by that, we we also include, you know, obviously teachers and social workers and psychologists. Anybody who cares to do a good job is at high risk of burning out because it comes with the trade that when we care deeply about the work that we do, we may not always do it to the degree that we want to. It's not about working harder, which is what you were saying, that Often is the trap with burnout, that somehow we think we just need to do more of something. Actually, it might be the system doesn't allow for us to do a better job.
1: We might have to do less, which got us into lighty clots and this concept of subtract, where doing more, adding, is not always the answer. But it seems to be in our mindset that that's the answer that comes to mind as well. I'll just... I'll just do more, I'll just add, when maybe doing less is the, the key to solving the problem or surviving the condition.
0: That was incredible, actually. When I came across his book and his work, I was struck by how subtracting is never one of the solutions that he speaks about, having this heuristic to add, and it's so true. Conversations that I have with clients, with friends, with myself, Always, the solution is always to either do more of, of something, be it more, even I've, I've had many clients say to me, I just need to go to the gym more or meditate more or, and then I'll be less stressed.
1: Well, some, some researchers back in the late 50s, early 60s talked about first order change and second order change. First order change was just doing more. You know, I'm trying to get my car up the hill, so I give it more gas. Works fine. You know, you're on the other side of, you know, the field and, and i trying to get your attention, so I yell louder. First order change often works very well, but, but sometimes we have to do something different. So second order change would be instead of my shouting louder, it would be picking up, picking up my phone and calling you on your cell. Uh, or it would be shifting my car into a lower gear to get up that hill. And this is something that I often talk to parents about in terms of, you know, more punishments or more rewards may not change your child's behavior. But we might have to do something kind of different. And, and then right. I can say, you know, with humility, I don't know what that is right now, but
0: but together <laughs> we
1: can figure this out. But yeah, the first order change is that logical. You know, I'll just I'll just do more, and it doesn't often solve the problem or help us cope with the condition.
0: And the other part of that conversation, which I loved, is that we yeah. often we don't get recognized when we subtract. We only get recognized when we do more. Right. Right. Like nobody's going to say, "Well done for not adding that chapter to your book." Right. Going to be well done for writing five hundred thousand words. That was amazing. Or, you know, well done for making it to the play, your kids play. In addition to having a full day's work and everything else, people celebrate us doing more and think that you're more competent for it. And it does definitely lead to burnout. Very, very overwhelmed individuals, including parents, which brings me on to our wonderful conversation with Emily Edlin, which is towards the end of our season, where we talked about autonomy, supportive parenting, and this idea that she calls it lazy parenting, which I thought was amazing. And the how to do less ultimately in your parenting journey. But not to do less because, yeah, you're a lazy parent. To do less because actually it will work much better for your kid if you do so. And doing less means them being more autonomous. But the key that was really important to remember is that that might need mean you do more initially because we need to support our kids to become more autonomous. But ultimately that will lead to less burnout as a parent. Ultimately it'll be more subtracting.
1: Well, I think it it means being more thoughtful about your parenting and less reactive. So you're actually thinking ahead in terms of, you know, what do I need to do? And, you know, what do I need to consider in the way of, Allowing my child some autonomy, some independence, some some working it out themselves, even if they're making mistakes and it's a big mess, and I have to clean it up. But you know, they're learning while they're doing. And I I, I loved what you said in I think it was that episode where you talked about the uh, students practicing their musical instruments above you oh, yes. in the clinic. And how, you know, it sounded pretty cacophonous, but <laughs> you told the client that's the sound of learning. And and I haven't yeah. forgotten that, that yeah. learning is messy. And for for a lot of parents, myself included, you know, I just want to avoid those messes, but you have to allow your child to, to make some mistakes and to even fail in, in the service of their becoming more competent human beings.
0: That's right. I remember my father said... We, as, as children, we had to learn an instrument and he said, but not the violin. I can't stand the sound of learning violin.
1: Oh yeah. Ugh, like cats fighting.
0: <laughs> so you can learn, but just not that. So yes, the sound of learning can be incredibly painful, frustrating, and, and there's a lot of patience to be had. And I think that's definitely the case when we're, I think when we're learning, with, when we're learning with our children, if we have any sort of element of control and wanting to control situations that can be incredibly difficult because having to let go of controlling the outcome right can be really painful right
1: and something i read long ago really helped when i read that you can't control the outcome you can only control your effort Mm. so you know i can i can i can do so much to you know make things happen but There are too many variables, too many unknowns, too many things outside of my control. But I can focus on what is under my control. And that's that's a little scary, but it's also comforting comforting at the same time, which is sort of weird. Um,
0: It's so true, isn't it? Because I think our journey as parents, and actually our journey as humans, there's so little we can actually control when it comes to outcome. Right. I mean, so many things can happen. Oh, yeah. And that's actually, I find that it, once we, we notice that, and I need to keep noticing that like every minute of the day that I can't control the outcome. And once I do, there's some peace. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's some yeah. peace to that.
1: And it, and it frees you up to focus on what is under your control. Yeah. And That's that nice. autonomy-granting piece you know, came out uh, prominently in our discussion with Michelle Dropkin about motivational interviewing. That yes, granting well. granting her clients the autonomy to make decisions for themselves as opposed to that finger wagging, you know, you need to be doing this differently. And it's it's it actually allows people to to maybe step up, you know, when they are given that kind of autonomy and, and the message that they're
0: capable, you know. That's right. Yeah, that was quite yeah, that was another great conversation. She spoke about that fixing reflex and our need to try and fix and tell people how to do things. I mean, that shows up a lot of parenting. I mean, but it shows up a lot everywhere. Like I talked yes. about, you know, wanting to get better at timekeeping and how quickly that invites, well, have you tried this and have you tried that? And how that immediately the reaction to me, for me was wanting to disengage the conversation and not wanting even to try mm-hmm. because of fear of. That feeling of failure was so strong. And ultimately, that piece around autonomy and being in charge of our lives, right? Ultimately, we are in charge of our lives and we need to give people that autonomy if we really want to support them in changing. Right. It's kind of a paradox.
1: It is a paradox. Guys. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and then we had we had our sex episode.
0: Oh, yes. Yes, we did. We did. And we're going to be having more from Kristen in our next season but that was a great another great conversation and the taboo around it and thinking about the yeah how we need to be having more conversations about sex and the impact of that and the importance of it in relationships and in connection
1: right and that keeping things suppressed or, or just secret doesn't allow us to fully explore particularly with our partners what it is that we hope for and need and what we can contribute to the relationship and what our partners hope for and need and again as you said we'll there'll be more sex in season two and then yes. we finish we finished with Louise Hayes and adolescenting
0: actually before that off the back of the conversation on A sex, we had a great conversation of happily ever after with Jonathan Shippey. That's true. And talking about having difficult conversations, right? Whether it's about sex or it's about what are we going to do about our finances? The conversation with Jonathan was really about how to do conflict lovingly. And I loved his love sandwich um, versus what we usually think of the shit sandwich. The love sandwich was much more appetizing. And the idea that, you know, conversations, important conversations that we might shy away might be the very things that open connection and deepen our understanding of each other mm-hmm. and move us forward. And these, how to do so in a way that actually deepens our understanding and not make it about who's right and who's wrong and who's going to win this.
1: And I really liked what he said about small things often, doing little things for your partner. To show your your love and appreciation and doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a big deal, but just frequently it's really helpful. And I I, I still think about that.
0: It's so true, isn't it? Small things often, because as soon as we think of big gestures, we go, Oh, that's too much work. I'm not gonna do that. And I love that you you brought that into our conversation with uh Debbie around burnout and self-care that actually it's small things often for ourselves, yeah. And small things often in our parenting as well, in our friendships. That conversation really resonated around parenting and families too, not just romantic relationships. And yes, adolescenting. Yeah, that was another brilliant conversation. We laughed a lot.
1: I learned so much. It was fascinating to hear Louise talk about adolescent adolescence is so similar amongst all these different species bears or rats or you know the the exploration the the, the risk taking all of that stuff that just lends itself to stimulating brain development and socialization and learning about the world and then we kind of shut that down as we get older sadly
0: that's right you know, so true
1: trying to find the adolescent within yeah. Within, within reason, Tem- yes. tempered by the wisdom of, of later years.
0: I think that's, yeah, I love that conversation because I've always liked adolescents, but with that conversation, I like them even more because they are quite incredible. It's thanks to them that our sort of society, to, we get to, to innovate and we get to stretch because they're constantly stretching our view and the way we think about things and the way we do things. And we very much need adolescents in our community to do that. I love the exercise that she she described, the day exercise and how to keep us in that state of wonder and curiosity that adolescents and children do anyway by asking ourselves, What's in our someday list? And she mentioned sort of having her someday list in her phone. Oh, it was a great way to remind ourselves. Yes. Of what, where, where we'd like to be someday, that dreaming. And, and have you done that? Have you done your list of some days?
1: I have not. I haven't done a list. I've, I've thought about it. Something that I've held on to from my adolescence is I still want to write a novel.
0: Wow, yes, I remember us talking about that.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my retirement project <laughs>
0: until, until I got in the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in, in many things have gotten in the way, but you know, that's that's still on my someday list. Oh,
0: oh wonderful. Really love love hearing that. Yes.
1: So, season 2. Yes.
0: yes. February. so we're going to be taking a break from season 1. We're going to be enjoying About six weeks, we actually have other things we need to get onto. We have a book to write. (laughs) Um, So we won't be lounging on a beach somewhere. But
1: Not a novel, but...
0: Yeah, not a novel. Yeah, that's on the someday list, but I'll be remembering that. Yeah, so we start our season in February, and there'll be more secrets, more irony, and more sex and some controversy. Yes. So lots of fun. Again, in our next season.
1: Yep, it, it it should be good. We've we've got some people lined up, and we're going to do one on having a favorite child. Oh yes, and as a controversy. Uh, yes, as as well as some some other folks that we'll be talking to, and we hope you will you will join us for the next phase of this incredible journey. And again, I I want to thank Emma for bringing me along and again Ashley for for making this possible
0: yes well thank you Chris for being an incredible partner in crime <laughs> this has been super fun it has <laughs>
1: but it has been a lot of fun
0: to be honest I didn't know it'd be this much fun otherwise I'd have done this yeah yeah it's I agree great really great well thank you Chris and thank you to all our incredible guests
1: and thank you to all of you who have been listening.
0: Yes. Thank you. It makes it possible. It it's a real privilege and an honor.
1: And we we'd probably do it anyway, even if no one was listening, but it's <laughs> We probably <laughs> it, would. It, It's so nice that people actually are. Um, That's right. So so thank you That's for your right. interest.
0: Thank you right. all. And see you in season two. See you in
1: season two. Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year.
1: Thanks so much for tuning into the Life's Dirty Little Secrets podcast.
0: If you have any feedback for us or secrets for future episodes, You can email us at Life's Dirty Little Secrets Podcast at gmail.com.
1: Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Life's Dirty Little Secrets or on Facebook at Life's Dirty Little Secrets Podcast.
0: We invite you to follow, rate, and review us on wherever you listen to this podcast. It is the best way to get our podcast out in front of new listeners.
1: We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more. See See you you then. then.